going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Let's start things off with a little Wednesday wisdom for you all. I had I came across this in my travels and I thought I'd share it with everyone to kind of inspire you heading into uh, your drive home. The more time you spend in the moment, the richer your life will be. Being present gets you out of your head and connects you to source energy, which raises your frequency, which attracts things of like frequency to you. And all of those high-frequency things and experiences are already here, just waiting for you to join the party. All you have to do is shut up, show up, and usher them in. I like that. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to Calgary Today, a jam-packed show. And we're going to go a little uh, in-depth on a few different topics. We're going to start things off with Bill 6. I I touched on it just lightly yesterday, but I wanted a couple of different frames of reference on it. And as you may have heard in the news yesterday, Jason Kenney of the United Conservative Party saying that he would repeal Bill 6 upon being uh, elected in the next provincial election. And I wondered what farmers thought about it. I wondered what the agriculture sector in general thought about that idea. Have we gotten sick and tired of hearing about Bill 6 altogether, or is it still front and center? So we'll be joined right off the bat by Lynn Jacobson from the Alberta Federation of Agriculture. And we've got another guest lined up shortly thereafter to give another viewpoint on it. So we'll go a little bit further on that than just the one topic or one guest right off the top of the show today. Also coming up through the course of the show today, we'll also check in with Jenna Freeman from the Global Newsroom as we're going to get a little bit of an update on a story they're working on when it comes to flu shots. We're seeing a few delays and I shouldn't say flu shots, shots in general. Um, one in particular, a lot of people wondering about the measles uh, shot, uh, the vaccination. And there seems to be a bit of a delay, different than usual. So we'll get the update from Jenna on that. We'll also talk about this big announcement from the X Games today. They're going to be coming to Calgary for 2020, 2021, and 2022. Pretty big deal. And it, it's, uh, it drew out the mayor. It drew out a whole bunch of people early this morning. We'll check in with one of the people behind the scenes who's been doing a lot of the legwork behind that particular project. He's the president of Manifesto Sport Management. Russell Reimer will join us after 430 to talk about that. We'll also get the very latest on this uh, grounding of, of the uh, Boeing jets with Reed Feist from the Calgary Airport Authority after 5 o'clock. Also give you a little bit of a rundown on what has been said both here in Canada as well as in the U.S. because it's certainly garnering a lot of attention. But it begs the question in my mind is how are the different airlines dealing with it? And so we'll give you a little bit of a background and some uh, context from both Air Canada and WestJet as those are the two big ones here in Calgary that are being uh, affected and have Jets that are going to be sitting here for the time being. Uh, Kidsport coming out with its annual report yesterday. And we'll check in with uh, Kevin is a Wallace. Let me just uh, double check on that one before I, I speak out of turn. Get Kevin Webster, that's the one from Kidsport. Uh, as he will uh, give us a little bit of a rundown on the year and review from a Kidsport perspective. But first and foremost, we're going to talk about Bill 6 uh, as we continue our coverage of some of the issues heading into when the rip may very well be dropped here in Alberta. And we were talking yesterday just briefly about the idea of repealing Bill 6. That was that contentious farm bill 
uh, a lot of people thought, oh, they're just trying to unionize farms and all that kind of thing. And I thought the dust had settled. And then UCP leader Jason Kenney comes out yesterday and says, yeah, we're going to repeal it. We're going to replace it with our own bill. It's going to be a little more um, happy for the farmer. And it made me curious about what different groups were going to say about this. So we're going to start things off. Uh, we're going to join uh, Lynn Jacobson, the president of the Alberta Federation of Agriculture right now. Lynn, uh, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to, to join you and uh, be able to talk to you. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this Bill 6 idea and what Jason Kenney is proposing. Uh, just give us your initial thoughts and your reaction to what he spoke about yesterday. Uh, it is a concern to our organization, the Alberta Federation of Agriculture. When we, when we look at it, we've gone through quite a turmoil on Bill 6. Uh, to a lot of people right now in agriculture, it's not a burning issue. Uh, I mean, there's still people that don't like what happened in that, but there's also many producers, once they've uh, been on work, workman's comp and have done the paper and went, basically told me, uh, well, this is a better insurance than I had before. Is there a little bit of a concern as well amongst producers that, hey, we've been through this before, we don't need to revisit it because everything has kind of worked its way out, even though there is that kind of sour taste in the mouth from the entire experience in the initial stages? Well, that's, that's, that's part of it. And, and, you know, it is a thing. And just, I guess, to some people now, it's in, it seems they're just raising the issue for political gain or, or to, to stir the thing up again. But there's also some things that people should think about with uh, repealing Bill 6 and then a proposal to have you know, private insurance back again um, or a choice of private insurance. Um, for one thing, we'll probably go back to the state we were before, uh, Bill, before Bill 6 come in, and only about a third of the, the producers were at all were covered uh, with any type of liability insurance. Um, and then... Uh, the differences in private insurance and uh, the difference in workman's comp, one of the big things is that uh, liability issue as a, as a farm or a farmer. Um, with uh, workman's comp, uh, you're immune to, to you know, legislation or suing when uh, somebody's hurt on your farm, as long as you've been following the safety uh, guidelines. Uh, under private insurance, uh, that isn't the case. And I know with Mr. Kenny's plan, there's also an idea as to what he's going to replace it with. Have you been able to take a look at it? And have you been able to chat with the United Conservative Party as well to get a sense of where they want to go with this? We haven't had the chance at this point in time to talk to him uh, on this one, but we have been reading the articles and everything that's been printed. And it's just... I guess <laughs> a frustration that we have to go through this issue again mm-hmm. um, that we thought, you know, was settled because egg safe uh, or egg safety on the farms is, is paramount. And we've got a big effort right now promoting egg safety uh, on farms. And then, you know, coming back and saying, well, we're going to exempt certain people again with two or three. Uh, or I guess one of the things that I read was uh, they were going to exempt uh, operations with only two or three employees. Well, <laughs> Really, when it comes down to it, those two or three employees, why should they not have the same coverage as, as other people when it comes down to it? And I've had people tell me, too, um, you know, if I'm going to work on a farm, why would I go work on that farm if I don't have any type of insurance coverage? 
Well, that's kind of one of the the big things that I, I always learned uh, was that you know if if the if the employer is worth his weight in gold, he'll be trying to do everything to support you, whether it's through good wages or uh, good benefits, that kind of thing. And so it does kind of surprise me a little bit that there would be any um, exemptions for the smaller guys. Although I do understand you don't want to go through all the paperwork, but at the same time, there should still be uh, something in place for, as you mentioned, for those employees yeah and i've got friends that are doing it now i mean i'm not doing that now we've semi-retired to a certain degree so we're not hiring anybody but i've had friends say once it's set up it's just a matter of you know checking the boxes and doing it it's nothing really onerous Mm -hmm. so saying there's a whole bunch of paperwork and and that for small farmers i don't think it's much worse than uh than a a large farm And, and according to the people that i've been talking to it's not very onerous at all mm-hmm. to do it. When you look ahead to what we expect to be a provincial election call, what would you like the leaders to focus on from an agriculture standpoint? Well, there's, there's some more. <laughs> well, there's a lot more issues out there. Mm-hmm. One of the the things that really, and it's a meeting that I'm attending today, the service rights is basically that orphan well issue and the financial uh, implications, basically to landowners. Uh, as we go down this route, I mean, we've heard that uh, there's been efforts maybe to limit the compensation on environment uh, cleanup and, uh, you know, reclamation issues. Um, another big thing that we're really looking at uh, basically is uh, uh, public devices private in the public breeding system for, uh, for value, value creation for seed breeding and, and the public system compared to the public or public system compared to the private industry uh while we both want one both want both of those uh public and private we also don't want to hamper the uh the effectiveness of the public system as we go forward and there's been some suggestions on some of the models put forward on that that in the long run will probably hurt the public uh breeding system another thing that's uh, going to be an issue this summer coming up is the Canadian Grain Act is going to be opened up and the Canadian Grain Commission and how it operates. Uh, we're talking about modernization and that's fine. I think we need to look at the act and modernize it. But there's also been, been some suggestions on some moves from some uh, of the industry players that uh, probably as a producer we may not agree with few things to keep in mind for sure. Lynn Jacobson, the president of the Alberta Federation of Agriculture, joining us here on Calgary Today. Let's continue the conversation now. Thanks for that, Lynn. Let's head on over to David Bishop, who is with Alberta Barley, as well as a director at the Grain Growers of Canada. Dave, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. It's great to be talking to you again, Joe. I am curious on this uh, whole Bill 6 or the repealing of at some point, if we have a new government in place, where do you stand on this? How do you see this all playing out? How do you respond to Jason Kenney's thoughts on this? Well, I'm going to start off by uh, stating the fact that the Alberta Barley and Wheat Commissions are a nonpartisan organization. But however, I should say that we will support any government policies that seek to reduce the regulatory or financial burdens on the ability of our 14,000 farmers across Alberta to operate in economical or viable ways, for that matter. And farm safety has always been a top priority for us farmers, even prior to the introduction of Bill 6. You know, safety has always been a priority on most everybody's farm. 
Mm-hmm. So where what's what is the best case here? Is Bill Six flawed in any way, or do we need to uh, do we need to relook at it? Um, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. I, I, we'll have to see. You know, we, we do have a change in government. We're going to be working with them, and uh, some of the changes are proposed. The one thing that we do kind of like is the fact that you'll be able to choose between WCB and uh, your private insurance. And when, whereas with Bill Six, basically you had to take WCB. You couldn't. You had to drop your private insurance, and that was one of the big complaints we were hearing about. You talked a little bit about uh, in your your introductory comment about the regulatory issues since Bill Six has been, and we've had a bit of a cooling off period now, uh, where a lot of the emotion has been taken out of it. How have farmers responded to it? How have people that you've been talking to? How do they see the the regulatory uh, side of of what has been implemented over the last few years, and has it been oner- onerous in any way, shape, or form? It depends on the size of the operation. On a commercial operation, they were most everybody was set up with private insurance and so forth because they have a, a bunch of employees. So, and part of the when you have employees is you offered them usually offered them a package of some sort. So, and with the introduction of Bill Six, that package went away, and you had to take WCB. So that's been the, one of the things we've been hearing most of it. The other issue that we're not—I wouldn't say an issue—but the other comments we were having was the fact that. Uh, Bill 6 was touted as a safety bill, but there was an awful lot of labor standards involved with the Bill 6. Uh, Dave, you alluded to it just a little bit ago about how the Bill 6 was created out of the idea of safety. And you go back to uh, the tragedy with the three girls out by Rocky Mountain House. You go to the tragedy involving the young boy out by Killam, if memory serves me right. And those two incidents really kind of kick-started the discussion around farm safety. I wonder, since Bill 6, though... Are farms any more or less safe in your eyes? I think always there's always been change in safety. Everybody becomes aware when something happens. And an unfortunate accident happens. People become more aware again. Um, so it becomes something that we are always changing in all our operations. We're always looking at anything we can do to be safer. Because basically it's our family that works on the farm more times than not. So, of course, we're always looking at anything we can do with safety. When we talk about the, I know that was one of the big sticking points with Bill 6 was in, and I remember reading through it and going, there's a lot of things that are up for interpretation. And so there was a lot of, uh, I don't want to say scaling back, but there was certainly a little more communication, which kind of put a few more minds at ease. Uh, But did you get the sense at all that, especially with the family farm, that uh, a lot of those fears were maybe alleviated once it was communicated a little more in terms of the overregulation, especially on the family farm? Yeah, the, the overregulation, I'm not so sure you could say it was always going to be overregulation. The fact that they didn't consult with us as much as they should have and talk to us and, and instead with Bill 6, we know what happened with Bill 6. They mm-hmm. just basically put this bill forward without much, if any, consultation. And that was the issue that we had with that because I think if they'd have worked more on the consultation process, we probably could have got along with Bill 6 better than what happened. So in the end, we had a lot of changes done to Bill 6, encouraging changes, but it took, was a long process and a, a drawn-out process because of the way they handled that, the way they introduced it. So, mm. Looking ahead to what is, uh, uh, from what I've always been saying, we've been in a provincial election campaign for, uh, for a few weeks now, but uh, as we get closer and closer to the writ being dropped, what would you like to see as being maybe some focal points? Maybe it's on Bill 6, maybe it's on other things that uh, people need to be aware of as they think about who they're going to vote for in the next provincial election? 
Well, like I said, as commissions, we're nonpartisan. We can't pick a party over the other because we have to work with whoever's in government. Mm -hmm. But anyway, with any future legislation that should be drafted, we should have significant involvement from the agriculture industry to ensure that it serves to protect our on-farm health and safety. That is something that we feel is very important to us. So is to make sure that whatever changes are made by whatever government, they always consult with us in agriculture. On that front, talk a little bit about what has been done and, and talk a little bit about that uh, AgSafe program. Well, the AgSafe program is just being rolled out. And uh, it, it, they're, what they're doing is they're promoting farm safety plans and other things like that. So, in fact, they will go out to your farm and look at you, help you do a farm plan, farm safety plan and things like that. That's that are sort of the stuff that we've been doing as an industry to get more and more involved with that. We, we can see self-regulation and, and a lot better uptake on that than we are with forced regulation. So, And this is a great topic because this is Ag Safety Week. It sure is, yeah. David Bishop uh, with the Alberta Wheat Commission as well as the Canadian uh, Grain Growers of Canada joining us on the program. Thanks for joining us there, uh, David. Thanks as well to Lynn Jacobson from the Alberta Federation of Agriculture to give us both sides of how everybody's feeling about the bringing up again of Bill 6. I thought that wound was kind of healed by now, but I guess there's still a few uh, sore points. Again, great to have these discussions. We've talked a lot about education. We've added in some agriculture. We've talked a lot about jobs in the last little while. We're talking health care. These are all very pertinent conversations that are going to continue and keep in mind as we keep waiting for the writ to drop could it be monday that becomes the question as the throne speech is set to be delivered on monday uh, keep in mind from nine until noon on monday danielle smith ryan jesperson will share the show to talk about election issues as we head into that throne speech and the possible writ dropping so stay tuned for that here on 770 chqr All right, let's head on to uh, one of the news stories that we've been following up on. Uh, A few parents have been contacting our newsroom wondering about these delays in vaccinations for their kids and wondering what's going on here. Jenna Freeman's been working on this story and she joins us now. Jenna, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. Give us a little bit of uh, an update on the story that you've been following surrounding vaccinations and and what you're hearing from both uh, health officials and from parents. Well, I think it's a bit twofold. I think that, you know, parents have always been encouraged to book their vaccinations early. But the problem that they're experiencing this year is they upgraded their IT software. So parents are finding that there's a very small window to book uh, two months in advance. And if you are too early, then you have to call back. And then they're calling back and then there are no appointments available. So then they're being forced to call all around the city to find a clinic to get into in time. And oftentimes, you know, their children are getting uh, vaccinated two months later than they should have. And given, you know, the measles concern, I mean, parents are really worried. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that side of it from the AHS standpoint. What are they saying about things? Do they have any advice for parents? They're, you know, saying that, you know, as soon as you get your child immunized, you should be booking your next appointment while you're still at the clinic. That's the best way to do it. AHS admits that their IT update has caused a bit more of a delay. However, it's not going as far as saying that it's a full-on backlog. However, also saying that if you do need to leave the country, they do have a system in place that you can possibly get in a bit earlier. But being pretty understanding and saying that, you know, they're always looking at ways to improve the system. 
And from a parent's perspective, as you mentioned, the the measles concerns have been weighing on a lot of people. They're going, I don't know if the neighbor kid is uh, vaccinated. So they're trying to stay ahead of the curve, aren't they? 100%. I spoke to one mother and she said she was just grateful that her parents were a little bit older because if she had a brand new baby, she wouldn't be leaving her house, especially if she's going to be delayed when she's trying to get her in for those first shots. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the next uh, next steps, I suppose, in this case is what what's being talked about from from that standpoint? Well, I think that from Alberta Health Services standpoint, I think that this, you know, if you talk to a lot of parents over recent years, having to book in advance is nothing new. I think the IT portion of that that changed the way that they were booking caused a little bit more of an issue for parents and it coincidentally came at a bad time given the measles concern that we had uh, in Leduc. Mm, absolutely. Jenna, I do appreciate the update and we'll uh, be looking forward to your reports at 5 and 6. Thanks so much, Joe. So there's the latest. You can also check it out, 770chqr.ca. I don't know if the story's up yet. I haven't been able to look, but it'll uh, certainly be up uh, through the course of the evening as well. Do want to congratulate, while we're at it, Michael, who uh, was correct. This wine is from Italy here on Wine Wednesday, so he gets himself a pair of tickets to go see Grape Escape, March 23rd at the BMO Centre Stampede Park. Of course, again, a couple. we've got a couple of more ticket giveaways to get to the Outdoor Adventure and Travel Show, as well as Let There Be Rock, I guarantee you one's going to happen in the next half hour and then one's going to happen after five o'clock. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. In case you missed it, big announcement coming out of the city, the province and tourism Calgary today as the Winter X Games are coming to Calgary between 2020 and 2022. And one of the groups behind this push has been Manifesto Sport Management. President Russell Reimer joining us now on the program for a little bit more background here. Russell, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Joe. What does this mean for Calgary in your eyes? You know, for me, this is really the culmination of about 10 years of, of work. I've, you know, I grew up as a snowboarder. Um, I've uh, moved into athlete management and work with some of the, the top uh, guys and girls in action sports now. You know, Morris Brothers, Noah Bowman, who we heard from today, Rachel Carker, this up and coming. And I, I see myself in them. I was never that great. But, you know, when you, when you put 10 years of your life into something uh, and you see it, come together it really does have the feeling of a 10 years in the making moment walk us through the last 10 years from just a logistical standpoint and what has it taken because what's changed i guess maybe over the last 10 years to go from hey this is an idea to hey this is going to become a reality you know a lot of it comes down to uh the willingness of partners you know we we um uh, 10 years ago we took a look at this uh espn was was eyeing some global expansion under a bit of a different model in the past where they would they would bring the event to your to your city or to your country and uh, put it down in your city and then they would move on to the next city and that expansion didn't work as well for them as as they thought so they reintroduced this idea of a city format where cities could come to them and pitch a venue concept and ESPN would determine initially if this is something that they wanted to do and when we went down uh January of 2017 and presented a venue concept that we rolled out today with uh, the Big Air music concert stage right downtown in the heart of the city at Calgary Stampede Grandstand and uh, and this this beautiful vision for the ski and snowboard slope style and half pipe events out at out at Wind Sports Canada Park. They were just blown away by it. And 
you know, our vision of X Games for the masses uh, was was really born at that moment, and it turned a lot of the the thinking about this into the doing. What do you envision needs to happen between, say, 2020 when the first one is held and right now? Yeah, so we, uh, as we noted today, and I think Mayor Nenshi was great this morning, made a couple of, of comments, really in a, a, a positive appeal to corporate Calgary uh, to get behind this event. This is the biggest uh, action sports event in the world. It's probably the biggest winter sport event that we will host in this city uh, if we get there since the Calgary 88 Olympics. So he, he said, listen, corporate Calgary, come, come strong here. You know, let's build something to last and let's get behind this project. For us, it's, it's fairly straightforward. We've, we have cleared the first hurdle, which is getting the exclusive rights for Canada. We know that if, if the X Games are going to be hosted, they're going to be right here in Calgary. So the next step for us is reaching out to, to potential sponsors, which we've been in conversation with uh, for four or five months now. And the, the initial response and the conversations have just been overwhelmingly enthusiastic. It's clear that the X Games brand has never been stronger. People immediately understand. We showed them a sizzle reel, and they get it. This is a way into youth culture that just doesn't exist anywhere else. This seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, we're talking about uh, a city that expects itself to be at the forefront of winter sports. This seems like a pretty good partnership, doesn't it? Yeah, that's really the goal. I mean, uh, some of the, the numbers are staggering, not just around economic impact. At, you know, an estimated $75 million. Uh, dollars. We're projecting 75,000 fans over four days. Really, the, the goal for us here is to take some of the thinking that we were really privileged to be able to do during the Calgary 2026 discussion. You know, I was part of the, I was part of the Bidco and part of that project as well. And we're taking a lot of the learnings about how, how sport can be used for social change to create opportunities for kids to, to tackle some of the big challenges around, um, you know, underrepresented participation and get the cultural community really engaged in a way that um, that we haven't seen before in the city. So we're going to take all of those legacy pillars and we're going to roll them into our, our thinking and planning and give our community and corporate partners the ability to shape and influence the creation of a city-stopping national event for literally for years to come. You talk about city-stopping national event. Uh, I'm curious, what does that mean in your eyes? What do you want to see come 2020 when we host the first one? Yeah, you know, um, setting the hurdles aside and what we've done accomplished that's right in front of us, um, I, I really want to begin strong. We, when we presented our vision uh, to ESPN, they just loved the ambition. I mean, I remember having a conversation with Tim Reed, the VP there at X Games Aspen, and uh, just really, really impressed by the thinking that had gone into the venue concept at Calgary Stampede. I don't want to be in this position where we're trying to gradually grow into something. And, of course, year over year, we'll do some learning and, and we'll do some, some thinking and some incrementalization. But for me, really, it was about establishing from the very beginning that this thing was going to be built to last on a solid foundation that was just going to blow people away. You work with athletes as well, and I'm curious what their thoughts are with the ability and possibility that down the road they're going to be able to represent their country in their home country and get that hometown crowd behind them. Yeah, you know, I said in my comments this morning that, you know, these athletes have been, uh, like, literally around the world uh, in super pipes on slope-style courses, uh, hitting big air jumps, and on podiums representing our country. 
And, you know, when, when you look on, uh, on the sports that will be represented or the action sports in, in the X Games, we won nine medals at the Pyeongchang 2018 Olympics. I mean, can you imagine the moment in uh, coming home from Beijing, right, mm-hmm. where, where we've got all these athletes who have just uh, done something spectacular for our country, and we bring them home to Canada for the first time. You know, some of the athletes this morning just talked about Noel Bowman, uh, one of the guys that we work with, born and raised here, grew up in the windsport pipe, just learning tricks, you know, continu- continually challenging himself, innovation, creativity, and progression. And when, when he started, his sport wasn't even in the Olympic Games. And his, his big vision was to become an X Games medalist. And he's already won two, been to two Olympic Games as well. But, you know, it shows you that these action sport kids, they grow up thinking about the X Games as the pinnacle of their sport. Um, so to be able to do that on home snow would just be, would just be staggering. It's going to be a lot of excitement over the next little while as the plans all come into place. Uh, Russell, I do appreciate the time and the insight into uh, a very exciting day here in Calgary. Yeah, Joe, let's, uh, let's stay in touch along the way. Absolutely. Russell Reimer, the president of Manifesto Sport Management, looking ahead to the 2020 through 2022 X Games coming to Calgary. If you're just hopping in the car after a day at work or maybe at home and heading to work, you may be not aware of this, but Boeing 737 MAX 8 and 9 aircraft have virtually been grounded across the globe following last Sunday's deadly crash of an Ethiopian Airlines flight. Transport Minister Mark Garneau made this announcement earlier today. The panel has been reviewing the latest data in real time, and I can assure you it's been occupying our time 100% for the past few days. As a result of new data that we received this morning uh, and uh, had the chance to analyze, and on the advice of my experts, and as a precautionary measure, I am issuing a safety notice. This safety notice restricts commercial passenger flights from any operator of the Boeing 737 MAX 8 or MAX 9 variant aircraft, whether domestic or foreign, from arriving, departing, or overflying Canadian airspace. This safety notice is effective immediately and will remain in place until further notice. The new information, and I hasten to say this is new information uh, that we received and analyzed this morning, comes from validated satellite tracking data suggesting a possible, although unproven, similarity in the flight profile of the Lion Air aircraft and I caution that this new information is not conclusive and that we must await further evidence hopefully from the voice and data recorders. As the investigations have just started it is too soon to speculate about the exact cause of the accident in Addis Ababa and to make direct links to the Lion Air accident in Indonesia in October of 2018. So it had me asking a few questions in my head, and that's why we bring in our next guest, Reed Feist from the Calgary Airport Authority, now joining us on the program. Reed, thanks for the time today. Good afternoon, Joe. Give us a little bit of an idea as to your message to air travelers, first and foremost, following today's announcement by the transport minister. Well, ultimately, it is to check with your airline if you are flying in the next couple of days to see perhaps if your flight is impacted. Today at YYC, we had 
uh, 13 cancellations of arriving and departing uh, aircraft as a result of, of the grounding uh, that you just heard from the minister. And so uh, we were working hard with, with our airline partners who ultimately are taking the lead on this to try and accommodate um, uh, tail swaths, which is, you know, swapping aircraft out if, if they have spare air- aircraft and, and trying to help um, any guests who had arrived at the airport who were facing a cancellation. Yeah, I was going to ask about that working with the airlines because I, d- I don't want to get you into a- answering questions for each of them. But from the standpoint of YYC, do you guys help with the storage aspect? What kinds of issues do you guys help the airlines with? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, we all want to make sure the guest experience is as good as it can be. So, you know, we're, we're assisting where we can. Uh, I would say today, in terms of impact, um, you know, you, you didn't see large lineups. I didn't see large groups in, in uh, people um, in the terminal. So perhaps people got the message before coming to the airport. Um, you mentioned storage. That is one thing we are assisting with the airlines. Um, of course, Air, Can- Air Canada has a sizable operation at YYC and and we're WestJet's major hub. Mm-hmm. So we've been working with with both of them to find space on aprons um, across our YYC property to to essentially store and park the aircraft and we're prepared to do that as long as necessary. Any idea on how many aircraft may be sitting on the ground for a while here in Calgary? Yeah, currently we have about uh, 10, um, and that's a mix between Air Canada and WestJet aircraft. Mm-hmm. That may change in the next 24 hours, depending on what the airlines do with, with some of the aircraft um, that weren't here. Uh, I understand some are ferrying them back without passengers or flight attendants, just pilots, um, uh, because they don't want them sitting at some of these other airports. Um, and, and like I said, we're working with them to determine kind of what's best for their operation. And I know another, uh, a number of other Canadian airports are doing the same thing. Understood. Reed, I appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Reed Feist from the uh, Calgary Airport Authority giving us a little bit of a snapshot on what they're doing. And both WestJet and Air Canada have sent out uh, kind of Q&As, so to speak. So, for example, with WestJet, they, they've done the Q&A asking, where are WestJet's MAX aircraft currently located? And they say, as of March 13th, WestJet's 13 MAX aircraft are on the ground in Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg, Tampa, Orlando, and Fort Lauderdale. Uh, goes into a lot of detail there, as well as Air Canada does the same kind of thing. Basically saying Air Canada's cancellation and rebooking policies are in place with full fee waiver for affected uh, customers. So as Reid pointed out, is the key in all of this is make sure you're in contact with uh, your respective airlines if you're wondering about whether your flight has been affected by today's grounding of, again, the Boeing 737 MAX 8 and MAX 9 aircraft in light of that crash of that Ethiopian Airlines flight last Sunday, giving you a little bit of a a wrap-up of what has been said through the course of the day today. Over the last 24 hours or so, we got a bit of a snapshot in terms of how Kids Sport Calgary is doing. They sent out their 2018 reports of the community and Executive Director Kevin Webster joining us now on the program. Kevin, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to highlight some of the work that you guys do. And you guys sent out your uh, 2018 reports of the community uh, earlier this week. Talk a little bit about some of the highlights of the last year. 
Yeah, I think, you know, every year when we get to do this, uh, it's a proud moment for all the volunteers and donors and staff and everyone that comes together to make this happen. I think the, the biggest highlight that we have year over year is the number of local kids that we're able to get onto the playing field, whatever sport that may be that they choose, that uh, without kids' sport, they wouldn't be able to afford those opportunities. So this past year, that was 5,647 local kids that we got into the game. How important is it to those families, to those communities, to be able to see these kids have that opportunity? It's huge. I think you know, we all know the value a sport can have for a kid in terms of their development and their growth and their attentiveness in school and just overall um, every kid should have that opportunity. And then when we think of the families as well, they're creating friendships and uh, growing connections within the sport community that can help them in other uh, facets of, of life and even within sport and getting their kids to and from practice, um, helping them understand, you know, what they need to make sure their kids can uh, continue to stay involved in the sporting world. And the kids' sport's a, a great tool and entry point to make sure every kid has that opportunity and that their parent or parents um, have the ability to say yes to their sporting dreams and wants. For those who don't know what kids sport does or how they manage to help these kids out, what are you guys helping with? Is it administration fees? Is it equipment? What is it? Yeah, we uh, we do the sport registration fee side. So we uh, raise money here in our community. We're 100% community funded um, to make sure that any qualified kid and we qualify the families based on household income. Um, that if they're at or below the low-income cutoffs that uh, we use to qualify families, then they can qualify for up to $375 in sport registration fees for the sport of their choice. Um, on the equipment side, we have a partner in Commerce Sports Equipment Bank, so between us, they can receive no-cost equipment and the cost of registration fees to uh, make sure that their kids can be active and, and enjoy uh, all the amazing benefits and life skills that they can learn through sport. Given the recession and everybody talking about the economy, has that put a little bit more of an onus on organizations like yours to uh, try to foot the bill for and help out some of these kids who uh, maybe normally weren't in that position, but now all of a sudden have been thrust into it? Yeah, without a doubt, we've seen more and more families, Joe, that have applied to us that uh, never thought they'd be in this position and are now looking for, you know, kid sport to help them, you know, get by for a year or two as they try and get back on their feet and making sure that they don't need to take things away from their kids um, as any of us with kids would uh, never want to be able to eliminate the things that they enjoy and the smiles that you see on their face when they're running the bases or kicking a ball or jumping in a pool. Um, we all know that it's a huge value to kids in creating friendships and um, growing up to be strong and healthy adults. What's next for kids sport going into 2019 and beyond? Well, we, we think we'll see demand from over 6,100 kids this year, and we think we're going to need to raise uh, somewhere around $2.3 million to um, support our organization and the growth in, in demand. Uh, $1.75 million of that will be invested directly back into our local economy and sport community um, to make sure those kids have the access and uh, opportunity that they deserve within the sport world. Absolutely. Kevin, I do appreciate the time and the update from Kids Sport. Thank you, Joe. Really, really appreciate what you guys do in the community, too, and uh, look forward to working with organizations like yourself to continue to build on this story. Absolutely. Kevin Webster at uh, Kidsport Calgary, the executive director, giving us a little bit of an overview of the 2018 report to the community from Kidsport. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR.
Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary today.